I'm Seth Day. I use he, they pronouns. And I'm Rebecca Hackmeyer, and I use she, her pronouns. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Rad, Rad Child, Child Podcast. Podcast. another episode of way to go and room to grow um today we are talking about autumn celebrations which is kind of a very large topic because there are many autumn celebrations um in our uh if you listen to our episode about autumn celebrations we specifically talk about um maven uh uh oh my gosh i'm already blanking on the mid-autumn festival um which is a chinese festival and then uh sukkot which is a jewish um celebration um, but today uh, we're going to be going, you know, even further than that, talking about some other some other harvest celebrations, of which there are many, many, many. Um, yeah, so I guess I'll just jump right in. Mm-hmm. And uh, well, you know what? Before I do, I just want to say, like, the, you know, one of the reasons that I think it's important to, I mean, you know, I mean, if you're listening to this episode, you probably know me a little bit by now, and that like I just love learning about things, and I think it's really important to teach kids. Um, you know, just like a global mindset and um, just like teach kids about all different kinds of people and all different types of things. And um, also, so that's sort of like one reason. And then I think another reason is like, uh, you know, if you've listened to our episode about um, decolonizing Thanksgiving, which, yeah, which just would have just just came out. um, I, I think that it's also like if you are a person who's choosing not to celebrate Thanksgiving, I think it could be interesting to you know, maybe learn about some of these other other things and, you know, do, uh, you know, sort of talk about th- those with your kids as an alternative, which could be nice. And like, you could also do both of those things. You could, you know, celebrate a decolonized Thanksgiving um, and still learn about other things too. So I don't know, I just, I just thought that it was kind of an interesting, um, an interesting topic. And uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to get into it. So yeah. And I'll add, um, yeah. Well, I just think it's, I think it's also so valuable in school settings. I know that Mm -hmm. some schools, I really take the perspective that in schools we should, we should celebrate either all of the holidays or none of the holidays. Um, And I think that that can be uh, a challenge for school cultures. I know that many schools have, have certain, certain holidays and certain celebrations that are kind of typically oriented with a Western calendar and Christian religions. Um, so I think it's really valuable to take um, take a more educational perspective on kind of all of the all of that yeah. type of celebration. So you're bringing in more um, taking a look at how different communities celebrate um, yeah. rather than privileging certain celebrations within your classroom. Absolutely. And I think. I think also it, you know, as a, this could be as a classroom teacher, I've also done this as a nanny, right? Like I've worked with all different families who are all different religions and all different backgrounds. And um, like from my personal experience, right, I like, for, for example, once I was working with a Jewish family, so I would, I, I taught myself, I, you know, I asked if it was okay to ask them questions about it, but also did my own research. And I used my lovely best friend who is Jewish, who was happy to answer my questions when I couldn't find, you know, I used the internet as a primary resource. And then I was like, hey, I'm confused about this or that, or how do I pronounce this or that? Like, I can't find a good resource. So love that shout out to my best friend, Captain, who's a wonderful <laughs> human. <laughs> um, but, uh, but anyway, so, you know, even like in a nanny setting, I was able to be like, hey, you know, you celebrate these things. And they were also happy to like, like, I taught them about Diwali, Diwali, and I taught them about, you know, other things, like we 
we learned about the winter solstice and we learned we learned about things that they don't necessarily celebrate as a family but i did incorporate the things we really do celebrate um and i think like as even in a classroom setting you could ask kids like hey you know it's it's fall like does anybody celebrate holidays in the fall right or celebrations and like and incorporate those um you know it's really it's kind of an you know easy thing to do i think we just don't we're so i think it's so ingrained in the especially in the education system um that sort of like you were talking about the sort of westernized holidays and the sort of that revolve around the christian calendar a lot of times um and yeah i think it's it's actually pretty simple to just be like hey what do you, what do you all celebrate even if you you could even send something home uh if you know because sometimes kids might not always speak up you could be like hey we want to incorporate you know all sorts of celebrations like what do you celebrate at home we want to learn about it right um so yeah i think there are lots of things that we could do to sort of have a more um more broad perspective of of celebrations and holidays um so speaking of a broad perspective of celebrations and holidays uh the first book i'm going to talk about actually uh does just that um and it's called we gather together celebrating the harvest season filled with fun facts about the fall equinox um <laughs> you know all those fun equinox facts uh and that's by wendy pepper uh and illustrated by linda black um Wendy Pepper is, has a lot of books. This is actually part of a series that talks about um, there. It talks about the uh, equinox, the equinox and the solstice for uh, all the seasons. So it talks about the spring equinox as well, as well as the winter and summer solstice. So there's other books for those, um, which are they're really great. They're very much from like a, a scientific perspective, so they're nonfiction, um, probably geared toward a little bit older like i mean i could probably read these with the kids but they might get bored with partial part of the way through it might be like a two-day situation of me reading it to them um with my with my two-year-old my two-year-old but uh but anyway so it's oh i all i almost forgot to mention that it is uh it's published by puffin books which is an imprint of penguin which i did not know and i just really think is cute on a practical level that puffin is an imprint of penguin it's <laughs> funny i love puffins so this is 100 a side note but i just learned this yesterday so I, I don't know rebecca or any of our listeners if you're familiar with the newer star wars movies mm-hmm. you are okay do, do you know what a porg is it's like this cute little creature whatever it doesn't matter it's this is that it's that the little creature that ends up that end up uh, becoming very fond of Chewbacca. I don't even. I honestly, I don't. I don't even remember the movies. I just remember the porks. <laughs> they were just like these cute little. They have like little. Fu- they're like fuzzy brown things with big eyes and like little almost wings. And apparently, they created them because they were filming in a place with a ton of puffins, and they didn't want to edit out all the puffins, so they just like put the porg over the pu- puffins. Oh. So like that's why porgs were created. So that's my uh, side note fact of the day. Kat, my wife, t- told me that this morning. Who's a big Star Wars fan and a big, she has a degree in cinema, so she's nerdy about that kind of stuff. Um, but anyway, so it's a, it's a published by Puffin Books. <laughs> and so basically it's all about the, the equinox, uh, the fall equinox from a scientific and sort of historical perspective. So I'm just going to sort of read kind of the, I'm going to start with like the second second page. So it starts out by saying, as the sun appears lower in the southern sky each day, the sun rises later each morning and sets earlier each evening. Days grow shorter, the nights cooler, and the growing season ends. Time to, pre- time to prepare for winter. Black bears gobble honey, grubs, fruit, and roots, building layers of fat for the cold days ahead. People pick purple grapes, yellow squash, orange pumpkins, and crisp red apples. They husk corn, gather nuts, rake cranberries, and enjoy the harvest season. 
But today, there's little need for them to stockpile food for winter as the animals do. Ships, trucks, and cargo planes transport it from parts of the world where fruits and vegetables are still grown. When it's the northern, when it's winter in the northern hemisphere, fruit is brought from the southern hemisphere where it's summer. So it's sort of like very, very scientific, and it, um, it's the next page is an explanation. It's you know, it's like the Earth in relationship to the sun in all four of like the winter solstice, summer solstice, uh, spring equinox, and autumn equinox. Um, and so it sort of explains from a scientific perspective what's happening with the Earth uh, and the sun. Um, and then it's you know, it's explaining right that like different seasons are caused by the tilt of the earth as it moves around the sun and you know it's explaining all of that um which i i really honestly like you know you learn this stuff in grade school and then you just kind of forget it all um <laughs> so as an adult i was like oh yeah that that makes sense like i kind of knew that but this is like honestly even teaching me more about um about what's happening um, right yeah I, and i you know i love learning <laughs> um and so then it sort of goes on to talk about crops. So it says each crop has its own growing season. Most seedlings sprout with cool spring rain and thrive under warm summer sun. Sunshine helps the plant's leaves make the food that is necessary for a plant to grow. And then, you know, it's talking about how plants, when the cooler days arrive, plants can no longer make the food they need and the growing season ends. Time to gather, gather the crops. Fruits and vegetables that ripen by autumn must be harvested before winter's freezing weather destroys them. Um, so, so it starts out like, you know, like I was sort of reading a couple of things. It starts out explaining like what is actually happening, right? Why is this happening? Why is it getting colder? Why are days shorter? Um, why do, you know, do plants stop making food, right? Um, and so it sort of starts out with a scientific perspective and then it goes into like a historical perspective and it, it you know, shows sort of like, you know, hunter gatherer people and it's saying, you know, 300, you know, 300,000 years ago, no one knew how to plant seeds or pr produce a bountiful harvest. So they had to like pick berries and things and, you know, live off them during the winter. And then it sort of goes from the f like farthest back in time to now so then it's like you know about ten thousand years ago where syria and turkey are today tribes learned to grow wheat and barley from seeds how exciting it must have been to plant one seed and produce a stock with many and then it sort of keeps going like with eight thousand years and talks about egypt and um you know then gradually farming spread to asia uh and it talks about um you know sort of traditions and things it has a two-page spread talking about sukkot which um we'll talk talk a little bit about later um and if you really want to know about go ahead and listen to the, the last episode because a person who's actually Jewish, not me, can tell you about it <laughs> um, with a little bit more, uh, you know, detail um, and accuracy. Um, but, you know, it talks about Sukkot and sort of the traditions of that. It talks about Pongal, which is a four-day rice festival in India. Um, it talks about rice festivals in Japan. Uh, it talks about uh, fall festivals in Nigeria. Um, so it sort of just goes and talks about, you know, goes to England as well um, and talks about just all these sort of traditions sort of going from sort of the farthest back in history to closer to modern day um, and talks a little bit about how people did those celebrations. Then it does, and this, you know, and this is my, my room to grow, um, is that it does have a two-page spread about the first Thanksgiving that is a little you know, the traditional first Thanksgiving story that we, that we hear that's the sort of fictionalized version of, well, I mean, I will say like, right, they, it's possible and there's, you know, that like they did, there are, it is one account that they did share a meal, but it leaves out, you know, all the other stuff that happened. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, it's just like, hey, they shared a nice meal together, um, which is a little bit like, eh, uh, to me. Um, and then it sort of, 
you know, sort of sums everything up by saying bountiful harvests have been celebrated since earliest times. People all over the world still celebrate a fruitful year of farming with fun feasts and festivals. They enjoy corn, rice, yams, apples, pumpkins, cranberries, and other fruits and vegetables of the harvest season. Autumn, with its brilliant colors and delicious gifts of nature, offers friends and family a time to gather and give thanks for all their blessings. And it sort of shows uh, our modern day, you know, Thanksgiving-looking meal. Um, and then in the back, there here are our fun Equinox facts. Um, so in the back, there's some back matter with Equinox facts. And these books are really wonderful. They have a lot of um, activities that you can do. So it's like, prove the sun rises due, uh, due east on both equinoxes. And it shows you how to do that. Show how the tilt of the earth makes the seasons. Make equinox corn muffins to share. Um, you know, and then it even says at the, at the end, the last page, there's learn about other harvest festivals. And it says, here are some other harvest festivals you can research. Um, and it has a, a list of other festivals that weren't mentioned in the book, as well as further reading and things like that. Hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a really, it's a really awesome book. Um, I appreciate it that, that it sort of takes like a, um, both historical and scientific perspective. Um, right. and I, I like that it doesn't focus on Thanksgiving, although it does mention the first Thanksgiving, which again, I'm not like wild about, um, you know, cause I feel like you can't, you, you can't just throw it in there without breaking it down and like deconstructing what actually happened in my opinion. Like, I think that it's irresponsible, um, to just, and then also that's putting the, you know, that's putting that on the people reading, the parents or the educators to have to be like, well, let's just take a minute and, you know, um, that's putting that on them to have to do that. So, well, and it also, it also begs the question, are the other celebrations here equally overly simplified? Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so, you know, I don't, and again, like I don't, um, the only one of these celebrations I am familiar with is Sukkot. Uh, and again, I don't celebrate it myself, so like I can't speak to the accuracy of these. I mean, I I've seen it, ha- it in general. Um, this book has really good reviews. I haven't seen any like sort of problematic um, people pointing out things about it that are problematic, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you know maybe someone of one of that celebrates one of those festivals haven't hasn't read this book yet. So <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, but overall, you know, I I think it's a good book. I really appreciate that it has kind of a global viewpoint. Um, and I really like the activities in the back matter. Like, I, I love that it has activities to do. I think that's really fun. Um, yeah. Then the art, the art has that really like retro vibe. Yes, it does. Yeah. Well, I, I looked up Wendy Pfeffer and she looks like the sweetest grandma. Um, <laughs> I don't know how old she is, but she looks like somebody who would bake you cookies and just be lovely. So it does kind of, and she's, I mean, she's not the illustrator, but, um, but the book itself, I feel like does kind of have this uh in general sort of has this retro vibe mm-hmm. um uh and then um what was i gonna say yeah i really um the only sort of room to grow i have is like i said i talked about my feelings about thanksgiving already um and then uh i do i do wish it talked about maven a little bit that was really hard to find i couldn't I found two books that talked about Maven, which is um, a pagan festival and just like the roots of that, because like, you know, I think that, you know, it's really important to talk about, um, like they kind of sort of vaguely talked about England and they kind of like brushed, brushed over that. Um, but uh, which like, honestly, like not centering Eurocentric stuff is fine. I was happy to learn about things that weren't, you know, uh, all about white people. Um, but I, I guess I wish that there, even if it wasn't in this book, I just wish that there was a book that did talk about it because I, 
it's funny, I was actually in um, a group for like pagan children's books and we were all just like, there's like nothing. There's like two and they're more centered for people who, um, uh, who you know, follow that religion. Um, not for, you know, sort of people who don't, um, which is, and they're also like, I mean, they're like self-published and the quality's like, it's okay. Um, they're fine, but there really isn't a lot out there. Um, for both folks who do celebrate those holidays and folks who want to learn about them um, in, in kids' book form, at least. So that was sort of like a missed opportunity to me. Um, um, can I ask, yeah. does it, I, I'm sorry if you mentioned this already, did it mention uh, this, any celebration from Japan? Yeah, it, saw, it talked about a rice festival. Oh, interesting. Okay. Both Japan has held rice festivals for about 2,000 years. In spring, girls dressed in kimonos plant rice. Um, while musicians play bells, drums, and flutes. In summer, they hold a lantern festival to express their joy as the rice ripens. When fall comes, they celebrate the rice harvest with parades and dragon dance. Uh, during their moon viewing ceremony, people sing while watching the shadows in the full moon. Many think the shadows show a rabbit making rice cakes. Uh, huh. So yeah, they talked about that. Yeah. Was, yeah, it was really, it was interesting. They talked about, like I said, it was, it was, uh, I liked that they talked about, you know, all different sort of corners of the world. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's a really great book. I think it's good for, you know, kids who are really interested in, in learning about, you know, that kind of, uh, it has like a lot of detail. Um, and so I think, you know, it's not um, like, it's not a narrative book. Um, so it sort of depends on what your kid is into, I guess. Uh, but I really like it. And I, I find it really interesting. Um, but yeah, anyway, so the, the next book I want to talk about is called The Shadow in the Moon. Um, let me get a full title here. A t- Shadow in the Moon, A Tale of the Mid-Autumn Festival. Um, so this is about a, uh, well, before I get into that, um, it's by uh, uh, Christina Machula and illustrated by Pearl Law, and it's published by Charles Bridge, who does a lot of great, great work. Um, and it's interesting because I was doing a little research on the author, Christina Machula, and she, so she is of Chinese heritage, but she was born and raised in Canada, and she went and lived in Hong Kong for a little while, um, to sort of, like, get in touch with her Chinese roots, and this book was sort of a way to, um, sort of, like, connect with her own roots and also talk about a holiday that, like, her family celebrated and she really liked, um, so I thought that was, that was kind of interesting. Um, and so basically, uh, this book uh, talks about the Mid-Autumn Festival uh, and how sort of how it's celebrated as well as the legends behind the festival, which is one of my sort of one of my uh, way to go is that I really like it because it starts out by it's like a family celebrating the holiday. And then they're uh, one of the things that you eat during the holiday tradition is mooncakes. And they have these designs on the top, usually um, made with like a uh, like a mold and the design on the top of it was this this beautiful woman and so the kids were asking who's that woman and then the grandma tells the legend because the woman is from the legend so I really like that it both talked about how it's celebrated today and where you know sort of the legend associated with it um, in one book because usually I feel like it's one or the other uh, so I thought that was really well done um, right. a story within a story exactly I love it <laughs> 
Um, and so it starts by talking a little bit about the festival and how the family celebrates. Uh, and like I said, at one point they're eating the mooncakes and then the kids are like, who's that lady? <laughs> um, it's very funny. It's like in a, in a very, in a way that a kid would be like, who's that lady? Um, <laughs> and so basically, uh, and again, uh, I encourage you to listen to the, uh, the episode where I have uh, Rachel Chan on who explains um, all of this uh, as well, but I'm going to do my my little version of sort of synopsis of the book. So basically the sort of legend goes that there were there were 10 suns and the earth was too hot because basically the suns, they're, they're toddlers. They can't take turns. They were supposed to take turns um, and they were like, no, we all want to burn at once. And it was too hot and everybody was very cranky. And, um, you know, and so, and, you know, the crops were dying and all this stuff happening. So uh, this archer uh, named Hao Yi shot nine of the sons. Basically was like, can you guys take turns? And they were like, no. So he shot nine of them down uh, with a bow and arrow. <laughs> he gave Problem them salt. I appreciate that. Um, and, uh, and basically told the remaining son that you got to share the sky with the moon now. Right. And so the immortals who live in the sky heard about what he did and they, they gifted him a potion. That's okay. They gifted him a potion that would allow him to become an immortal. Um, so he and his wife, Chang'e, um, hid the potion away uh, because they, you know, they knew that it was, you know, they didn't want it to get into the wrong hands or anything. But a thief was spying on them. And he, uh, so he sort of plotted to steal it. And one day uh, when Hao Yi was gone and just Chang'e was home, um, he came in to steal it. And uh, Chang'e, you know, figure you know sort of the only way that she could figure to not let him get his hands on it was to drink it um so she drank the potion and became an immortal and became the spirit of the moon um and so you know how he sort of returns to find her missing and he's searching he's looking for her there's this i don't know why i just find it really funny um there's this one like there's this one spread where he's like looking for her and he's like looking in a bush and i don't know why that's so funny to me uh, maybe because I've been watching a lot of true crime shows lately and I'm just like about stupid places that people look when they're looking for like bodies and stuff. I'm like, what? <laughs> Should be in a bush. Anyway. Um, but anyway, so, you know, after sort of searching with no luck, he takes a moment to just like look up at the sky and he sees her shadow in the moon um, and sort of realizes what happened. And so on the anniversary of the day that she became the moon, he would like put out her favorite foods and that's sort of the legend of how... Uh, how this festival started and so um like I said I just I thought it was really well done um I, I love that it's own voices I love that it you know it shows like I said how the festival is celebrated today and also like the legend behind it um because like hey that saves me from buying two books um <laughs> I got one book with all of it um I I think the illustrations are really gorgeous and there's awesome back matter including how to make your own mooncakes um which uh sounds like a lot of fun it's so funny though because it's like a little bit complicated they're a little bit complicated to make like you need to get a mold and everything and, and they were like you're gonna need a grown-up for this <laughs> <laughs> don't try um, this at home kids yeah exactly um and i really don't have any room to grow for this book i love this book i think it's great um go buy it <laughs> get it from the library get your hands on it um and i think also what was nice about it i will say too is that I think it's really accessible. Like if you don't celebrate the holiday, um, I think it's, it's nice. It's like a really easy sort of uh, way to learn, learn about it. Um, but I also feel like if you did celebrate the holiday, it would be nice representation um, to be like, Hey, like, and, and, you know, maybe to recount the story during the holiday or something like that for the kids. Uh, so yeah, I really like that one. Um, and that was actually, uh, Oh gosh, I don't, 
I don't think she listens to this anyway, but uh, it was recommended to me by um, someone in who celebrates the holiday in one of the book groups that I'm a part of. Um, oh, so cool. Appreciated that recommendation. It's always good. Like when I'm like, when it's actually somebody who celebrates the holiday, I'm like, well, it can't be that bad. Right. Um, right. And <laughs> it's a Charles, a Charles Bridge book. Yes. We, we love Charles Bridge around They're here. They're so good. They do such good work. Yes, um, they do. I made the mistake of just going on the website one day and browsing and I was like, oh no, now I need to buy like 50 books. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I do that sometimes where I'll just go on publishers' websites and then I'm like, oh, I have a card of $100. This is a problem. Yeah, um, that's a dangerous, dangerous <laughs> hobby. Yes. Well, I just found out that thrift books, which I did not know shipped to Canada, ships to Canada. So now I've got an even bigger problem. Thrift books, oh. if for folks who don't know, um, you can buy used in varying degrees of, uh, of quality um, uh, books, you know, of any, any kind, but it's usually like, like I got one that happened to be a library copy of like an old library copy of a book, or sometimes they might have damage depending, but it usually tells you like what the quality is when you're buying it, like if it's good or, you know, like new or whatever. Um, but they're really, they're really inexpensive. So it's a nice way to get your hands on some books if you're not super concerned about the quality of them. Um, but yeah, they shipped to Canada. Who knew? Not me. Another dangerous hobby for you. I know. I already have a bunch of books coming to me. <laughs> oh my gosh. Anyway, um, the last book I want to talk about, uh, I, I love this book so much. Um, it's called Sky High Suka. And actually, uh, the author, uh, Rachel Ornstein Packer, it's funny because she saw, I was on, I post, you know, on Instagram, uh, usually the books that we talk about um when when the episode is released i post the the books and uh she commented and was like oh you should check out my book and i was like that's really funny i'm featuring your book next week (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh because we had featured jewish kids lit um so but anyway so i was like well it works out because i already am uh and so that's uh the author's name again was rachel lawrence packer and it's illustrated by uh deborah zemke um, and it's published by Apples and Honey Press, which is an imprint of Berman House, which is a, uh, a publishing company that specifically does uh, Jewish children's literature. Um, and so basically, um, the book is about Sukkot, which is a week-long Jewish harvest festival in which you build a small hut called the Sukkah. Uh, and you sort of eat and spend, t- uh, eat meals in there and spend time in there, varying degrees of time in there, depending some people like live in it. Um, some people just eat meals in it. Uh, and they're traditionally sort of decorated with branches and fruits and veggies, as well as other decorations. And again, if you want to learn more about Sukkot, definitely check out our episode on fall, uh, autumn celebrations, uh, Leora and and Lazarus, uh, who is Jewish, <laughs> does a really great job of explaining what the holiday is all about. Um, and also has, uh, is an author and has some lovely children's books uh, about it. If you want to check those out. Uh, so basically, uh, uh, back to the book, Sky High Sukkah is a, a story about two friends, uh, two kids, and they both want a sukkah, but they can't for varying reasons. Like Le- Leah, the one kid, her family lives in an apartment building, and like they don't have roof access or a backyard, so they have no place to put it. Uh, and the her friend Ari has space on the roof of his building, but his parents don't have enough money to buy one. Uh, so the story sort of starts with Leia expressing that she's sad that she can't have a sukkah, um, you know, just sort of like narr to, to the reader. Um, and she's sort of walking to school to meet her friend. Uh, and she passes, they, they meet every day in front, you know, it sort of is uh, implied that they meet every day in front of this fruit stand. And this, uh, this 
fruit vendor, Al, is sort of like, oh, why do, why do you look sad? And, you know, she explains that she thinks she was looking at the fruits and vegetables and thinking about how nice they would look in a suka, but like she can't have one. And, uh, you know, and Al asks what a suka is. And this is actually one of my way to goes, which is that it invites like non-Jewish readers to learn about the holiday because it has an outsider asking like, oh, what's that? Um, mm-hmm. in, in a way that makes sense narratively. Um, and so she explains what it is. And uh, and so the kids meet and they go to Hebrew school and they find out there's a poster contest and the prize is a sukkah. And so they agree that if they win, they'll put the sukkah on Ari's roof and the families to share it. And they end up winning the poster contest because uh, Ari is like an artist uh, back when they're at the fruit stand, like he, he you know, is showing a picture of a sukkah that he drew. Um, and uh, so they win the, the poster contest, but, you know, then Ari's parents are like, we can't accept it because we don't, we don't have anywhere to store it right in the off seasons. And Leia's family is like, oh, we have room in our storage space. But then they're all like, you know, no one has a car, like the pieces are heavy. How are we going to move it the four blocks from one apartment to the other? And so the kids are like, why don't we like ask the community to help, like ask our neighbors. And, you know, so they end up asking their neighbors for help. It's sort of like everyone has a role, right? Like the neighbors are helping to make the meals and their moms buy the greens for the roof and the kids make paper chains to decorate it. And so they end up putting it on Ari's roof and uh, they're sort of like looking at it and they're kind of like, that doesn't look as good as my drawing. Like there's something missing, you know, and they're kind of disappointed by it, but they're they're sort of, they're sort of like, well, at least we have one, you know, we're happy that we have one. and so finally, the first day of Sukkot, all the neighbors are going up uh, to up to the roof to, you know, share the meal together. And they go there and they find that it's covered with vegetables and fruits. And Al, the fruit vendor, is there and he bought all these vegetables and fruits. And just, yeah, it's really sweet. And the whole, I was like almost crying. I was like, it's so beautiful. <laughs> Kat, Kat was laughing at me. I was like, but it's so beautiful. Um, and, 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 and I love that. Sorry, go ahead. I'll, yeah, I was going to say the whole community it. celebrates together oh what were you gonna say oh i just i was gonna say i love um i love the uh when a plot kind of the narrative device in a picture book is like low stakes drama (laughs) like 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 the problem you know like like i mean not i don't mean low stakes in a dismissive way i mean like low you know it's it's like a family level or community level kind of drama Mm -hmm and the kids get to be involved in the problem solving. Yeah. And then this one seems to really beautifully like layer, like that extra, um, that extra little problem. Right. And then the solution that like ties it all, like that just sounds like it's just narratively like so beautifully done. Right. Like it circles back to the, the fruit and vegetable vendor that solves the final problem. It's yeah. all like, oh, yeah, it's really, it's really well done. And just like every, you know, to every little bit, like in the beginning when Ari, like the reason that Ari is even showing the picture of the suka and that Al knows what it looks like is because he drew Al's fruit stand and he's tearing off the page and giving it to Al. And then Al's like, oh, what's that a picture of? Right. So like, it, it's not just like, here, look at my suka. Like nothing feels forced. It's very like. No do ex machina. <laughs> How satisfying. Um, yeah, it's, it was really wonderful. And um, I also appreciated like the diversity in the book. Like Al is a, a black man, um, which I, I appreciated. And just in general, like when there are shots, wide shots of different people, um, there's, uh, you know, in general, uh, different, different kinds of people. And I love that it's about community. And I, I also, which is like what the holiday is about. Like it's the spirit of the holiday from what I gather, like in, in a book, like the, the mm. story itself, I feel like captures the spirit of the holiday, not just, is it about the holiday itself, but like the feeling you get from reading the book is like what that holiday should feel like. Um, which oh, I, I love that. Really special, you know? Um, and, uh, 
you know, I, I also, like I was saying, I love that, like, Al isn't Jewish and just, like, just a neighbor who wants to, like, help his neighbors, you know what I mean? I think that's really sweet mm-hmm. um, because, I, you know, we don't, I was thinking about this, and this is not at all to toot my own horn, um, but the, because there's no Halloween this year, um, we decided there are kids directly around us. We live uh, in a duplex, and so there's two families on like there's two families next to us on the right there's two families next to us on the left and one across the street that have kids so we decided since there was no really trick-or-treating there wasn't really trick-or-treating this year that we were going to make up little like uh goodie bag baskets with like candy and toys and we just like went to the dollar store and got a bunch of stuff and we you know went around and just like gave them to everybody and people were just like shocked that like their neighbor would just like do just get they were like you're just giving me a thing and i'm like yeah (laughs) like happy halloween and like people we don't do that anymore you know and like i just think it's like i i don't know i i love doing stuff like that and i just because like i just think that's what like being a neighbor should be about and like i don't know i love living in a community where like like for me like people say hi to each other and people are like helpful and like you know if someone sees me like struggling with something they'll be like hey can i help you with that like people are like where i live like very it's very like neighborhoody and friendly um considering we live sort of in like a it's like the most suburby part of the city that you can live in if that makes sense like we're still in the city but mm-hmm. it's like we have backyards and you know um it's lots of families in our neighborhood and i just like i got that like i loved that in this book you know, it was just someone like, hey, like, you had a problem and I, I want to help you. Like, we're our neighbors. We're friends. It wasn't, you know, it, it didn't have, and it didn't matter that he wasn't Jewish or, you know what I mean? Like, it was just like, no, like, I saw that you needed something and, like, I could help you with that thing. Right. Um, yeah. Um, speak, speaking about Halloween, something similar happened in our community where a parent, like a local parent, just decided to put on this program where you would, people would kind of pay a little bit to buy into it and then you would go around the whole community with a map um and you could drop little gifts off like for people who were participating um and then there was a way to kind of mark off if you if you had already received like everyone was supposed to kind of get no more than three be Mm -hmm. booed no more than three times (laughs) um but I just thought uh it's like uh kind of a nice uh, turn of events that I think this pandemic actually, I mean, of course there were people that just ignored the fact that we're in a pandemic and went trick-or-treating anyway, but kind of the way that community had to manifest in a really different way, uh, like what you're saying you did, um, like in this time. Yeah, absolutely. What we, we also, we, you know, we weren't opposed to having trick-or-treaters. What we basically did was, I don't know if you saw this on Facebook, but what I did was I tied a bucket from my balcony and I put the the baggies in the bucket and lowered it down. We had two, we we had like two, uh, like two families come, three kids, two families uh, all night, which we were, we, we usually maybe would get like 20, like last year, maybe 15, 20, like we're, where, you know, people usually go to like the, the bigger houses where they give out nice candy. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so that was that was my uh, social distancing trick or treating. Uh, was we put it in bags too, so it wasn't like a bunch of hands in a bowl or anything, you know. Right, you and I just sent down one bag at a time, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I shouldn't sound so dismissive. I'm sure many people did it, you know, participated in socially distanced, yeah. like you know, careful ways. But I do love the idea of. Of even yeah. reaching beyond that like to do something too. Yeah. yeah yeah but I yeah I love I you know I sort of miss 
that sort of community vibe. Um, even like when I was growing up, I grew up in the suburbs and we used to have like block parties and then like, well, this is, this is probably bonus content. And then like <laughs> one of the, we had this uh, lady across the street. We lived on a wacky block. Um, we had a lot of characters. It was kind of like a sitcom. And we had this lady across the street who um, liked to drink a little bit. And the woman came to collect the money and she accused her of forging her signature and then started to strangle her. And then we didn't have block parties anymore. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we had, we had wacky neighbors. I used to, again, here's more bonus content. Uh, we had these kids live across the street who lived across the street. And unfortunately, their mother um, had a drug problem. And so she, and she's a single mother, she's two kids. And she wasn't, you know, always as attentive as maybe she could have been. Um, mm-hmm. And so, and they were just kind of like very wild. And instead of, we, I mean, I lived in the suburbs. It's like, you just step, you know, it's like two lawns that are next to each other. We were next door neighbors. They could have just walked to my house, knocked on my door and said, is Seth home? Instead, they climbed the pine tree in the backyard and would shout, Seth! Seth! <laughs> <laughs> it was wild. I lived in a wild neighborhood. Uh, it's funny because it was like, you know, it was like the very, like, you know, it's the suburbs and everything's like so picture perfect. But then like behind closed doors, everyone's just like wacky. Oh, exactly. Very Peyton's place. Very yes, Peyton's yes. place. Oh my gosh. But anyway, it was a great book. I recommend it. Um, the only room to grow, literally the only room to grow I have for Sky High Circuit is I wish there was back matter. <laughs> like I mm-hmm. wish there were resources or, you know, things to learn more about activities and um, stuff like that. Uh, but in general, like I, I don't have any, it's my only complaint I could come up with because I wish there was more of it. <laughs> um, but anyway, I'd love to hear about your books. All right. Okay. Let me pull up my, uh, the right tabs on my computer. <laughs> okay. So the first, the first book that I want to feature is called, um, is also about the Mid-Autumn Moon Festival, and it is by Grace Lynn, and it is called Thinking the Moon, Celebrating the Mid-Autumn Moon Festival. We love Grace um, Lynn. Yes, I am a huge Graceland fan, so it's probably no surprise to anyone that has ever heard me recommend books on any Facebook group that I would reach for a Graceland in this context. Um, and Graceland, she is an author illustrator. She grew up in New York um, with her parents and, and two sisters. She is uh, a Chinese American, and she is uh, the author of her first book was called The Ugly Vegetables, which is a really fantastic oh, kind yeah. of community oriented story, kind of a um, uh, actually another great book for this time of year because it's all about growing everyone in her neighborhood. This is a little bonus content. Everyone in the neighborhood in the ugly vegetables is growing flowers. Um, and her mother, the protagonist's mother is growing all of these Chinese vegetables that, Mm. um, feel to this child, like very unusual and she's kind of embarrassed, but then ultimately, uh, the mother creates this amazing soup with the vegetables. The smell wafts mm. through the whole community and everyone comes and gathers Aww. together and shares the soup and like brings bouquets of flowers for all sorts of trades. And um, I love yeah. that trade. Yes. Bartering. Yeah. And so, and then at the end actually includes a recipe for the yeah. for ugly vegetable soup, um, which I have created with, um, with classes in the past it was a lot of fun making our version of ugly vegetable soup. So uh, Grace Lynn, big fan. She's also the uh, 
the author and illustrator of the award-winning uh, Where the Mountain Meets the Moon trilogy. And so she is a big um, moon person, uh, appreciator of all things moon. And uh, she wrote this book about the Mid-Autumn Moon Festival. I don't know if you, have you heard of the the new math books that she made? Yes. They're really cool. It's like math through story. So there's one that's like up to my knees. It's called, what is it? Storytelling math. So there's yes. one that's called up to my knees. That's about like, like it's about planting a, you know, planting a plant and how tall it's getting. Um, and so it's about, it's, yeah, right. So it, uh, and it also, though that series is published by Charles Bridge, mm-hmm. which again, we are huge fans of Charles Bridge. Shout out to our, yeah, over the four in that series are up to my knees circle sphere what will fit and the last mark the last marshmallow which is very hard for me to say apparently <laughs> right so <laughs> it's like it's like math sense and numeracy sense and and all of those skills um through like a toddler lens right like, yeah. like preschool toddler lens and i believe they're board books is that right yeah. or are they full picture books as far as i can tell i haven't had my hands on them but they look like board books. Well, we're gonna have to get our hands on them ASAP. Um, so, uh, and Grace Lynn describes the Mid-Autumn Moon Festival um, in a little bit of a less, uh, maybe a, a more a, a more simplified way um, than we heard in, in some of the titles you shared. Um, she, she calls it, quote unquote, kind of like Asian Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> and so uh, she, she in, in, a, in a video that I watched that she put together, um, she speaks, she talks about the history of, um, of farming um, in China and talks about the 15th day of the eighth month of the lunar calendar as the day that the moon is, is kind of thought, thought of to be the biggest and brightest and also kind of that, that indicator that it's time for crops to be harvested mm-hmm. and that at the, um, that night of the 15th day of the eighth month of the lunar calendar, they would celebrate the harvest and the beauty and the wonder of the moon with the mid-autumn moon festival. And um, what I love about Grace Lynn's storytelling is that she does she does a really deft kind of weaving in very spare language. She weaves together information, but also like a picture of a family. Um, so it just begins, the mid-autumn moon glows in the sky. We go into the night to admire it. Uh, Mama prepares the nighttime picnic. Baba arranges the moon honoring table. Maymay plays with the green pomelo peel. Um, so you get information about how this this day is celebrated. Um, it's it happens at night. There's going to be a picnic. There is something called the moon honoring table, and then you also get kind of a, a snapshot through both the text and the art of this family. Um, you know the youngest the youngest child with a pomelo peel on her head <laughs> like a hat um, so I really I love the way she does that so she just she uh, never like there's every every word has intention in a Grace Lynn book and every word works together to really tell this really cohesive story um, and so over the course of this story uh, they are they're gathering the things together um, and, and kind of participating in elements of the celebration. They're pouring, uh, pouring tea and they use round cups um, for the tea because there's a lot of echoing of, of circles, the palmello, the round lanterns, everything is kind of the moon cakes. It's all in celebration of the moon, right? The big circular moon. Um, and they all are out together and it says at the end, um, 
you know, after they kind of go through the components of the celebration, it ends with the moon peacefully watches over all of us this night of the mid-autumn moon festival. And it ends with this beautiful double page spread that shows, um, and you've kind of seen in the illustrations behind this family doing their celebration, other families. And then the last spread shows just you know, several hillsides worth of families all gathered, sitting on picnic blankets, holding lanterns, and the big moon in the sky. And it's just really lovely. Mm. Um, and on that double page spread, there's, there's uh, you know, I see some um, diversity. There's various skin tones and hair colors and um, not a huge amount of, of body diversity. And I don't necessarily see um, a lot of um, ability diversity but in general it has a nice a nice community feel to this picture mm -hmm. that sounds lovely yeah um so uh a more simple telling of the story um and definitely one to complement um some of these other titles mm -hmm. yeah Shall I, I go think, on? Oh, go ahead. I don't know. I was just going to say, I think, like, I think that there's definitely a need for, right? It's not like you're ever going to find the one perfect book about this celebration, right? It's like we need them at different levels and different, you know, amounts of detail and focusing on different things. Um, you know what I mean? I think, I think it's important, right? Like for the, whenever I um, get books about a holiday, I try to get books about you know like I always try to get one that's like what is this holiday very like a nonfiction that's like what is this holiday how is it celebrated um and then you know I try to complement that with like other narrative books and other you know other kinds of books but I, it's not like you know you're just going to get one perfect book for each holiday and that's going to be it like I think it's important that we have different kinds of books and with different varying amounts of detail because there's going to be the kid that wants all the detail and it's like what is the story about and the kid that's just going to be like I don't I don't care like just tell me you know I just want to know the, or I want I'd rather have a narrative story or I'd rather, you know what I mean Right. Yeah. We talk about the importance of, right, the informational texts and the narrative texts. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and how you don't want, I, I think we've also probably talked about it uh, ad nauseum, like the idea that, and I mean, we, what we've sell, what we have shared today are really excellent books on these topics, but you also want there to be room for like lousy books on this topic, just like there are <laughs> lousy books written about, you know, Christian holidays and <laughs> white families like you want room for really bad books <laughs> which sounds counterintuitive but I stand by it because <laughs> you don't want one book to have to be all the things it's true um, oh and I should mention that uh Thanking the Moon is uh published by I just got away from my uh, by Knopf Knopf Books for Young Readers and it was published in 2010 another a great addition to the shelf mm -hmm. and then the next book i want to mention is called um jingle dancer i've heard really great things about this one but never uh you know never read it so yeah so about it. jingle dancer is written by cynthia lightich smith who is a citizen of the muskogee creek nation and it is illustrated by Cornelius Van Wright and Ying Hua Hu. And Cornelius and Ying Hua are a husband and wife couple. Um, she is Taiwanese, 
Chinese. Let me make sure I'm getting this right. Um, yeah, so um, Yinghua was born in Taiwan. He is a black man, a native of New York, and they are a husband and wife children's book illustration team living in New York City. Um, and I should shout out um, Cynthia Leitich Smith has a fantastic, well, a great website, but also a wonderful blog of, about children's literature mm -hmm. called Sensations, C Y N S A T I O N S. Um, so I do want to shout that that resource out. Um, and so I, there were some fantastic interviews here that I read, and also she just does. Um, so I got information both about this book and about the the illustrators, but also it's just a great a great children's literature resource. And so let me get back to my um, uh, my theme because I think I clicked on a tab that took me somewhere that I didn't expect to go, and now I've lost my way. Why did that tab close? Here we go. Um, okay, so and the reason that I wanted to feature Jingle Dancer. Um, stems from the fact that we've talked about how um, we don't want to just pull stories about indigenous peoples off the shelf um, uh, when we're talking about Thanksgiving, right? Or talking about decolonizing Thanksgiving, um, that we want to be sure that we're incorporating uh, stories of indigenous peoples kind of throughout the year um, and also honoring and recognizing that they are not—they are uh, people who are not of the past; that they are of the present, um, with rich traditions and communities um, throughout our our continent. Right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and just like we talk about this, right? Like, just in the same way that you know, you you don't want to be reading books about Black people, um, like you know, like you know, African-American history month or whatever, like right. we don't pull out those books once a year or like, right, you know, we should have books that integrate all of those. I mean, both books that have diversity in general and books that are specifically about those people and peoples and communities um, throughout, throughout the year. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and so this book, I should also mention was, um, it was published by HarperCollins in 2000 and is coming out in a paperback version um, published by HeartDrum in 2021. Um, and so it is um, the jingle dance from my research is a traditional dance um, that is performed by women. Uh, let me pull up my, my information here. Uh, throughout the year, it's not something that's specific necessarily to this um, autumn celebration time, but, and it is a feature of powwows that would take place around, um, around autumn and around the harvest. And this particular story does take place in autumn. So I thought that it was well worth well worth including here when we're talking about ways that, that people celebrate in um, during this time of year. Um, and so the Jingle Dance, um, and this is from a resource that I found about the Harvest Festival and Pow Wow. Um, that is typically put on by the Museum of Ontario. Um, and they say uh, the women's jingle, jingle dress dance originated from the great Ojibwe nation of Northern Ontario and Minnesota. This special dance is considered to be healing in nature. It's believed to be given to the people from the sky world as a ceremony to help those who are in need of spiritual lifting. Um, and then I'm just gonna jump down here. Um, 
Actually, no, I think I'm going to stop with that so we can just cut it after lifting. Cut this cat, please. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so um, what I wanted to say about this particular story, um, we talked before about or earlier, I mentioned my appreciation for uh, picture books that include kind of this like low stakes, like family community level problem to be solved um, as a plot, like a plotting device. And this is this in this story, there is a, a little girl named Jenna, who is a member of the Muscogee Creek Nation and is also of Ojibwe, uh, Chippewa and Anishinaabe descent. Um, and she decides that she, um, she's been watching her grandma wolf um, participate in the jingle, the jingle dance throughout the years. And she's kind of daydreaming about the jingle dance. And she realizes that she would like to participate. Um, and so she goes to her grandmother and, um, and says that she would like to participate in the jingle dance. But, and grandma said that um, there's actually no time. Like she says, you can dance. Let me, let me pull up exactly what she says. Make sure that I'm, I'm quoting it accurately. She, Grandma Wolf says, um, next powwow, you could dance girls, but we don't have enough time to mail order tins for rolling jingles. So there's a little bit of a, you know, she's uh, welcome to participate, but uh oh, the problem is there's not enough time to get the jingles, um, which are made out of tin and rolled and sewn onto the regalia. And so this is Jenna uh, has a problem to solve. And so she decides to go around to the various people in her community. So she visits four, um, four important people to her. She visits her great aunt, Sis. She visits Mrs. Scott. She visits her cousin, Elizabeth. And then finally she visits, she comes circles back around to Grandma Wolf. And at each stop, she, um, you know, she helps Mrs. Scott roll fry bread. Um, she helps her cousin Elizabeth um, file some paperwork because her cousin Elizabeth is an attorney. And at each stop, she asks if she can borrow some jingles, if she can borrow a row of jingles. And at each, she says, um, one of the refrains is that she, um, she's not wanting to take so many that the dress would lose its voice. So she's wanting to just borrow from each person one row of jingles because after watching her grandmother, she realizes she needs four rows of jingles. Mm -hmm. And in the end paper, it talks about kind of the symbolism of the number four and how that's a powerful number. How interesting. Yeah. Um, and so I love that I love that she is, is solving this problem. She's clearly a, a embedded in this wonderful community of women. And of course, each of these women um, happily um, not only gives her a row of jingles, but also asks her to dance for them um, because great aunt sis, her legs are, you know, she's, she is not able to because she is having some leg pain. Um, Mrs. Scott is going to be actually selling fry bread at the event at the powwow. So she's not able to dance this year. Cousin Elizabeth has a big case to work on. So she, she's not able to be there. So now Jenna is also going to be sort of dancing in honor of all of these women in her community as well. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And so um, she and Grandma Wolf work to bring the bring the regalia together. They are, you know, spending the rest of the week, like making getting all of the jingles sewn onto the dress. Um, 
and then she dances she dances and at the at the end of the book just has this beautiful series of images of her dancing for um uh she it says jenna jingle danced for great aunt sis whose legs ached um for elizabeth uh who worked on her big case um and then it ends with and for grandma wolf um, and for Grandma Wolf, who warmed like sun, tink, 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 tink. Um, and so, and then the, the book ends with an author's note that includes information um, about the Creek Nation, about the home of the Ojibwe people, about the jingle dance and the power of the number four. I love that. That, you know, it reminds me, uh, it, re- it reminds me a lot about, oh gosh, now I can't, uh, 47,000 beats. Um, yes, which we talked about. Um, but it, it's interesting because I think the difference is that uh, in that book, it's more of, you know, Peyton, the main character is, um, uh, you know, has a problem and it's being solved by the community sort of on her behalf, mm-hmm. as opposed to this where, you know, the, the child is sort of, uh, you know, not to say that one is wrong or the other, but it's still they're community based, but in one way in one of them, you know, the community is sort of coming together, like, hey, we made this thing for you. And, you know, in the other one, it's more like the kid is, you know, taking the problem and solving it themselves through the community. Right, right. Yeah. But I love that community aspect in both of them. For Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. And, um, and the art in this book is really lovely. It reminds me of um, the, the book was published, like I said, in 2000, in 2000, originally, but it has a little bit of like an old photograph feel. Um, oh, okay. um, so it just reminds me of the kind of the kind of snapshot that your that your family takes of you when you are doing like your first XYZ, your first recital, your first dance performance. Um, so it really has the feel of of old fo- like old photographs. Oh, I love and that. And then um, there's some really, really lovely uh, pictures that show just her relationship with these different women. Um, And I particularly love the picture where she and her cousin Elizabeth are like grinning at each other because it just reminds me, um, I grew up with older cousins. Like I was kind of a second, like a, my, um, my older brothers are both about a decade, you know, just over a decade older, older than me. And a lot of my favorite cousins were also kind of of their generation. So my Mm -hmm. sister and I were kind of round two for my mom. (laughs) And uh, so I grew up having these older cousins that were just like my everything. Um, And I just saw that same kind of dynamic in this image between Jenna and cousin Elizabeth, where she's just like in awe of this amazing accomplished Mm -hmm. woman um, who's also like, loves her so much so I just the art in this book it's very painterly you know watercolor um pictures of kitchens pictures of of just a lot of 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 relationships right like it's very much just capturing these snapshots of these relationships between Jenna and these these people in her community and it's it's really um it's not always a a style of art that I'm particularly drawn to but I think in this book it's done really really well I love that yeah. You know, there's nothing like 
when a book can make you like something that you didn't think that you liked before. Right. It <laughs> means it's well done. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, and it may be, I'm noticing, you know, I said it had kind of this old photograph feel um, and I'm seeing this uh, uh yeah I, it's just funny because I realized that in this image where she's walking down the street it looks like she's wearing this like rad windbreaker it maybe reminds <laughs> me of the 80s a little bit so maybe that's yeah. also where that's coming from um, oh and I love this line here in this picture that kind of sets up the the conflict um it says a sun-fetched morning Jenna danced east to great aunt sis's porch Jenna's bounce steps crunched autumn leaves but her steps didn't jingle so it's like, gosh, she's got to get those jingles. <laughs> uh, so, and that's the, that's the, the, where it mentions that this takes place in autumn. So mm. I figured it was an appropriate book to include. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. So I highly, I highly recommend. And this also is a book that is very highly recommended. Um, I think it was on like a 2020, new 2020 book list of, um, oh gosh, let me find that. That's a good a good compliment for it. So I do want to shout this out. Um, where is this? It is, oh, okay. It was a 2020 teaching for change, social justice book selection. Oh, amazing. Yeah. And it, um, it comes really highly recommended by Dr. Deb Reese, who is another person that we mm -hmm. have a lot of respect for who we yes. spoke about, um, quite a bit in our decolonizing Thanksgiving episode. Yes. Um, and then, the final book that I just wanted to give a little um, honorary mention to um, is called um, Day of the Dead, um, which is another uh, festival or celebration or, or kind of holiday that is, that is celebrated in autumn, um, typically October 30th through November 2nd. Um, and this particular book is written by Tony Johnston and illustrated by Jeanette Winter. And it was published by HMH Books for Young Readers um, in 2000. Uh, and, I, almost, I almost bought this one. Oh, really? <laughs> um, the reason that I'm giving it an honorary mention is that it is not an own voices book. Okay. Um, but it is, I thought... Um, so there are a couple of, there are a couple of books, um, like Zuzi Morales has a couple of great books that kind of feature, um, Day of the Dead stories, um, accounting book and alphabet book. Yeah, and there are I was, was going to say just a minute is great. I have that one. Yes. Um, yes. I love that one. The um, kids, we, we literally read it at, we did like Day of the Dead for one week and we read it every single day. They loved it. And I think Nora really liked it just because there's a baby on the front and she would just go, baby. She was really excited. <laughs> there was a baby in the book. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's was. actually, let's officially, that was called, it's by Zuzi Morales and it's, it is called. Just a minute, a trickster tale. Yeah. Just a minute, a trickster tale and counting book. And there's also an alphabet, mm -hmm. an alphabet book version, just in case. Just in case. A trickster tale and alphabet book and yeah, so Amazon didn't have that one in stock i was very offended yeah so just a minute was published in 2016 just in case was published in 2018 and both are written and illustrated by uh zuzi morales um which is spelled u or sorry y u y i um her for if you're for those of you who are now googling it to try to find these great books <laughs> um so 
definitely honorary shout out to to those stories which when we've when we talk about like that spectrum between informational texts and narrative um they fall on the narrative side right they're stories that just happen to take place around and like in the context of like dia de los muertos right but um day of the dead uh so i would i would recommend day of the dead by Tony Johnston and Jeanette Winter as kind of that informational text that gives kind of more explicit information about um, at least one iteration of the holiday. Uh, And so what I like about this book, so Tony Johnston is, um, like I said, it's not own voices, but Tony Johnston, let me find the right tab. Oh my goodness. How do I have so many tabs open? How is this computer not crashing? Tony Johnston did live in um, in Mexico for 15 years, so um, she was very immersed in in that culture, and then did end up writing quite a number of stories, um, kind of centered in Mexico and okay. influenced by Mexico. Um, uh, but uh, was born in uh, she was born in Los Angeles and grew up in San Marino, okay. California. And uh, she is kind of le- legendary children's book person. She was a copy editor for, became, became a copy editor for um, Harper and Row in 1969 oh, wow. and was the private secretary to editor Ursula Nordstrom, who is like um, children's literature royalty. <laughs> uh, so uh, in this biography that I found on 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 Tony Johnston's website, uh, it says um, Johnston learned much about the industry working under Nordstrom's high quality standards. It was a wild and woolly time. That's where I learned everything about writing for children. And um, what I like about Day of the Dead, this story is that it really is like it has this great uh, rhythm to it. Um, it begins above a small town in Mexico, the sun rises like a great marigold, right? So we have the original like mm-hmm. evocation of a marigold, which is um, part of um, some celebrations of Day of the Dead. Uh, a soft sound comes from a warm kitchen, slap, 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 slap. The children hear it and wake up. Um Mama is making empanadas, little pastries fat with meat. The children crowd around. Una proba. Let me say this one again. Um, okay, give me a second to sound this out for myself. Let's uh, keep this in. Show my my inability to uh, speak Spanish. Embarrassingly, right, sounds like you. Probati- probadita. Una probadita. A taste. Wait, says Mama. Esperense. Till when? Soon. So the um, there's Spanish terms woven into the text but then coupled with right the she their um informate the words are kind of restated in both spanish and english but it's just woven into one one narrative and so um throughout the story members of the family are part- are doing different preparatory activities um for weeks the family had been preparing for this day los tios the uncles have picked fruit um, right. So throughout the book and the children are always trying to sneak a taste of something and they're being told, wait, esperense, till when, soon. So there's this rhythm to the story that's really lovely. Um, and the illustrations are done by Jeanette Winter, who is another um, 
longtime uh, children's literature uh, person who has had some award-winning titles. Um, Mama's baking pan de muertos. Father is, um, you know, um, sneaking back uh, bulging bundles from the bakery. And so the children are spying on all of this and trying to sneak tastes and being told, wait I, soon. I just, I just have to say that with the kids, we made Pandem Muertos this year and it came out, it was my first bread I ever made and it was so good. We ate the whole thing in like a day. <laughs> so just a little pat myself on the shoulder. I That's really, amazing. Usually when I try to make bread, it like always, like it was the first time I successfully made bread. <laughs> That's really cool. Uh, anyway. Um, and so, yeah, so all of the families working together to give, and so the the story does a nice job, sort of like, um, like Grace Lynn's title, sort of like Thanking the Moon. Uh, we're getting a sense of the family dynamic and we're getting a sense of the way, all of the different components that go into the preparation for this day by all of the members of the family um, doing these different preparatory things. And then about halfway through the book, it shifts to, you know, all of them uh, gathering together and going out into the night, um, which also kind of echoes uh, Grace Lynn's uh, story. And then it, it gives a description of how they all go to the cemetery and what they do there. They place salt and water in small bowls. They place all the things they have made. And then the children say, must we still wait um, and the mama says, eat, 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 like now it's time, right? And so they um, they get surprised by the sugar skulls, they eat the panda muerto, and one of the children finds the tiny skeleton baked inside. And then there's a lovely picture um, where it's getting, it's getting very late and the family is gathering, you know, gather, leaving the marigolds behind, but gathering kind of the remnants of the feast. And there's a picture of, this beautiful picture of, like an angel placing stars in the sky over mm -hmm. the family as they're gathering, you know, kind of gathering up and, and preparing to leave um, where the, um, yeah. And the children all are sleeping. Um, and so of course what they're doing is visiting um, Los Abuelos. They're visiting their, their, their the grandparents who have passed away. Mm -hmm. um, and it's just very beautifully done. Um, and then at the end, it shows uh, their family um, walking away, carrying candles like stars. And then there's a little author's note at the end. Um, the part, the part about like eating, like wanting to have a taste of the things, just made me think about. There's a book that I just got um, called Ten Gulab Juman, counting with an Indian sweet treat, and it's like. It's literally like the mother makes them and then they keep like sneaking them and sneaking them, but it's counting through like, okay, there were this many and like now there's only this many in the bowl. Like, where did they go? And, and so like at the end, they sort of help mom make more before the friends come over because that's why they had made them. But it reminded me of that. It was really funny. They're like, the mouth is full. And they're like, rrr, rrr. <laughs> it's like such a kid moment. <laughs> that's really clever. Right. Yeah. So this is not Unknown Voices book, which I guess would be my, which is my room to grow. And there are, there are titles out there um, that are own voices. Um, Pat Mora put out a story called The Remember Day that is um, like kind of an imagined history of the original kind of impetus for De uh, Dia de los Muertos. Okay. Um, but uh, I just I wanted to give a shout out to this book because I just think it hits 
a lot of it, and and also I think that maybe Pat Mora would say that this presents a more commercialized version of Dia de los Muertos with the emphasis on the marigolds and the sugar skulls. And I don't know enough about kind of that tension to speak to it, but I really liked this book. I thought it was a nice combination of information and narrative, and it gave a really um, uh, accessible vision of what, of, of this celebration and um, honoring and, and remembering and recognizing um, those loved ones who have passed and doing so as a, as a family and, a, you know, coming together um, in celebration. So I did want to, and it sounds it like it does out. have a little bit of that, like, narrative, you know, it's like a good kind of combination. Yeah, um, yeah. Of that narrative as well as the sort of explanation of what's going on. Yeah. Which I love. Mm-hmm. And so those are the three, the three titles that I wanted to feature today. Amazing. I'm, I'm excited that we were, I mean, obviously there are so many, so many autumn festivals, but I'm glad that we were sort of able to cover um you know quite a few and ones that before this I did not know about right (laughs) Um, and then what you know I would also definitely encourage um people to look into other ones I know in the back like I was saying in the back of we gather together there's a list that includes other ones including China's moon festival which we talked about Inca's corn harvest celebration ancient Egyptian harvest parade ancient Greek harvest festival so some of these are like ones that happened in the past um you know, Germany's Oktoberfest, Cherokee Harvest Festival, Czech Republic Harvest Celebration. So there's a whole list in the back of this one. And um, um, also yeah. there's a there's a celebration that happens in that is Japanese in origin and maybe a Buddhist holiday okay. around spring, both the spring and autumnal equinox called Ohigon, oh. um, which is about kind of the, again, um, honoring ancestors and, and folks who have passed away. Um, and I, I, I found it on a couple of lists about autumn festivals, but I couldn't mm. find, I couldn't find um, oh, any it. picture books that talk about it. Huh. So that's just and another that's one. That's to... interesting that uh, they talk about, I mean, I'm sure, you know, they're not like there can only be one autumn festival, but that they don't talk about that in this book, but they talk about like a rice festival. Right. And maybe it's because it's less about harvest. Yeah, but it is more about a particular time of year. Like it is about that equinox time. That's true. Um, But yeah, that's something else that I was like, oh, I want to learn a little bit more about this. (laughs) It seemed to have, well, it seemed to have a little bit in, um, like, uh, uh, there seemed to be some parallels between Ohigan and Dia de los Muertos, right? Like both Mm -hmm. are about a little um, about visiting visiting the graves of of those who have passed away. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because we had someone come on and talk about uh, winter nights as well, who celebrates winter nights, which is uh, like a Nordic holiday. And uh, she was talking about it and I was like, this sounds like Day of the Dead, which is wild because that is like in a completely different place. Like, right. she and I'm like, cause like basically like they, uh, you know, they, you know, it's all about ancestors and like, I don't know, she, like they take out, they put up photos and I was just like, whoa, this is like very similar, <laughs> you know, considering it's a tradition from somewhere totally different. I thought that was really interesting that there right. are a lot of celebrations like that and that they happen sort of around the same time of year, um, you know, independent of one another. Wouldn't it be nice if, um, if the western kind of christian religions had a had a 
more comforting relationship with the dead. Yeah. (laughs) I know. Well, I thought about that. I was like, this is so cool. I love that. I love having an opportunity to like talk to kids about, you know, their, uh, you know, their ancestors. And like, I never, I, I feel like I never really, no one ever really spoke about my grandmother who passed away before I was born. Um, on my dad's side like that was just like we didn't talk about it like you know if it, if I looked at a picture I'd be like who's that they'd be like grandma but like I never really learned like sometimes through stories and things but I wish I would love a dedicated time to like learn about those people that would be great right uh, right you know, and honor them um yeah but I think you know like you were saying I think it has a lot to do with the cultural relationship with death mm-hmm. um which is a whole nother topic a whole nother episode <laughs> yep <laughs> I, I think I think we did we did an episode on we books did an episode that, about that. we did <laughs> maybe we should go even deeper <laughs> oh my gosh uh but anyway um yeah thanks for joining me Rebecca as always uh yeah, so this a fun one. <laughs> yeah yeah it was it was neat to, to do a little yeah expand my own thinking about as particularly this time of year this year when when all celebrations seem to be curved, um, but to kind of share some of these books with my with my son made me feel like I was doing some doing some good work. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I've I've had fun too. Like we're um, not this week, but next week, I'm teaching the kids about Diwali, and uh, I had I'm having fun just like learning more. I mean, I had I've done this before, so I know a little bit about it, but I just you know I love learning about stuff, so I'm having fun. Um, you know, sort of teaching them about that. And uh, we did do De Los Muertos recently, like I was saying. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know. I think that, like, especially now that we're all stuck at home, like, uh, like for me, like I was, like, I always talk about how I do themes with the kids. Um, but like learning about another holiday or celebration is like easy and fun, not easy, but like, you know, it's fun and it doesn't take that much work to do. You know, you can do it together and learn something you know when we're all stuck inside with nothing to do mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but anyway um all right Rebecca I guess I'll see you next time sounds good and remember stay rad